So we're going to continue on in 1 Peter. And so hopefully this week, maybe you had a chance, an opportunity, and took advantage of that opportunity and, and read uh, 1 Peter. It takes about 15, 20 minutes to do that. I encourage you to do it. It's really helpful to see uh, that letter in its entirety. Uh, helps pick up the, uh, the themes and the, the things that Peter is talking about in the letter. But just as a way of summary and reminder for you, Peter's writing this letter to the churches that were scattered around the Roman Empire that were in the process of being heavily persecuted. They were, in, they were in enduring intense persecution. And so this morning as we start, um, I do, I do want to kind of echo what Steve said, that we are, and we, we've been talking about this for months, really even before we uh, introduced the church to the, the book, uh, to preach or not to preach, but we've been talking for months about just trying to uh, encourage uh, more and more discussion during the time. And so it is a, it is a learning curve for me as a teacher, and it'll probably be a learning curve for you too as, as somebody who is um, participating in the, the teaching time. And so just know that we'll, we'll continue to learn together uh, through that and, and we'll try to do better at, at asking meaningful questions. And, um, and then of course, I know you guys want to continue to grow and, and just and be a part of that, that learning process. We don't want it to come just from one person, but, but we believe that, that the Lord has gifted all of us and we all want to participate in in, um, in helping us understand better um, the truth from God's word. But my question to you as we get started is, uh, what kind of things would you say to someone who is going through intense suffering? You've probably had the opportunity in your life at some point to sit with someone. I don't want to get too personal uh, this morning because it can get really uh, emotional. I mean, you know, just thinking about uh, some of those last moments with my mom before she passed. She had been suffering for, for so many years, and, um, and God allowed me to spend the last few moments of her life with her, encouraging her in the Lord. My question to you would be, what would you say to someone who was going through intense suffering? You don't necessarily at this moment have to discuss that, but I do want you thinking about that because that is what Peter is doing in his letter he is writing this letter to a group of people that are going through intense suffering, and so he is trying to bring them comfort. And there's a big word we're going to talk about today that is the, uh, probably the, the theme of this entire uh, first chapter and really, in some ways, maybe the theme of the entire letter. But Peter is trying, through his writing, to turn their attention to the hope that we have in God. And so I just want to write that word on the board this this morning, because we're going to refer back to it a bunch, all right? So H-O-P-E, hope. What's that? Did somebody say something funny? Oh, I thought somebody said something. Yeah, so the word hope, that's our word this morning that we're going to talk about quite a bit. If you're talking to somebody that's going through an intense amount of suffering in their life, you know, sometimes you... Uh, might be around somebody and you struggle for words and you don't know what to say. And I just want to encourage you this morning that if you're around somebody that's going through a very difficult time in their life, point them to this. If they're a believer, if they're not a believer, um, you might, you know, you might use it as an opportunity to, to bring them to the gospel and how they can find hope through the gospel. But Peter was writing to Christians. And so we, we will see him uh, throughout these verses we're going to look at this morning, bringing their mind and their attention to this word, to this word hope. And so uh, in your life, as you meet with people, talk with people, if God has given you an opportunity to, to share with someone that is going through a really hard time in their life, and they're a believer, bring them as much as you can. Pray, God, help me know how to bring them to a place of hope. And, uh, but it's not just for other people. I would say to you, when you find yourself going, because not other people go through hard times and through suffering. We go through hard times and suffering. The next time you go through a time of suffering in your life and you're trying to, to figure out, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Bring your mind and your uh, attention to hope. And that's what the answer is. That's what Peter says to this group is the answer to to their having their minds in the right state uh, to be able to handle the things that they're going through. He is telling them that no matter what they go through here in this life, our life in Christ is immeasurably 
better. Let's put our mind on that. So let's read our passage together. So this is going to be 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'd like for somebody to read verses 3 through 9. We're going to read the whole the whole portion that we're going to look at this morning, but I want you to uh, I want you just to kind of see it in, in the in the context and the way that it flows. So somebody will. Last week we the last two weeks we talked about the introduction to Peter, who Peter was, who he was writing to, why he was writing at that time, who you know all those different things. But this week in the body of the letter we start in verse three. Somebody read three through nine. Peter starts this portion of his letter with something that I think is, is vitally important. He draws their attention to something. What are those first few words that he says in verse 3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he is bringing their attention at the very beginning. He is setting the tone. He is setting the tone, the atmosphere, to be an atmosphere or a tone of gratitude. And I was just thinking about that. Imagine if in our lives, if we applied this same principle to all situations that we go through, if we just start with the tone and we start from the place of gratitude. So whatever we're going through, whatever suffering, whatever uh, good things we go through, whatever bad things we go through, we just start with, God, in all things, I'm going to give you thanks and I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you through uh, you know, there are songs about this. I'm going to praise you while I'm in the middle of a fire. I'm going to praise you while I'm walking through, uh, you know, a, a time in my life where everything seems to be uh, flowing and clicking and, and going well. I'm going to praise you no matter what. And I love that Peter starts out with that, with that, uh, that mindset that he's bringing to them is he's bringing them a mindset of praise. So I just thought, why, why don't we do that this morning? Why don't we set the tone this morning? So I would like for you to, to repeat with me. Let's do this together that, fir- that first portion of chapter uh, 1, verse 3, where he starts with, Blessed be the God. Let's say that together and mean it from our heart that no matter what we learn today and no matter what goof-ups that I bring uh, to the table, maybe I say something wrong or maybe you get distracted at some point or maybe something crazy happens. It doesn't matter if we start with and end with today an attitude of gratitude, then we are going to be in a good place and we'll be glad that we were here. So let's say it together. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's start there today at the beginning of this teaching, and let's stay there throughout the entire time. And, and trust me, Peter is going to give us plenty of things for us to all throughout the teaching say, man, praise God. Blessed be God. Praise God for all of the many things that he has done and who he is. But he goes on and he says, according to his great mercy. Somebody real quick. What does mercy mean? What is mercy? Unmerited favor. When we don't deserve it. Unmerited favor when we don't deserve it. When we think about the word mercy, we think about something something bad that could happen that doesn't happen. Something that is deserved to happen that, for some reason, it doesn't happen. The person that may be bringing that, you know, the consequences of that to us make a decision to not uh, not go through with whatever that bad thing is that is supposed to happen. And I will just tell you this morning that if, if God didn't have mercy, and that word really just means compassion or pity, if God did not have mercy on us, then no matter what we did, no matter how hard we try, no matter how, uh, how hard we work at it, I've talked to people before that whenever you ask them about, you know, what would God... What, what, you know, what are you going to say to God? That, that kind of opening question that sometimes when you're sharing the gospel. What would you, what would you say to God if God said to you uh, when you stand before him, why should I let you in? 
you know, the, the answer that many people will give is that it's, I hope that he sees that the things that I've done outweigh the bad that I've done. And, and I'm, I'm like, man, you don't want that. You don't want that because that's not, uh, that'll never measure in your, in your favor. It'll never measure in your favor. But yet, if God has mercy on you, then all things can change. So God has to have mercy. If God doesn't have mercy on you, nothing you can do will improve your standing with him. But he goes on to say, God had mercy on us because of that. It caused him to, to, to do something. He called us to be born again. And I was thinking maybe Peter was remembering uh, a, a conversation. Maybe he overheard the conversation that Jesus was having uh, with, a, with a guy. You remember the conversation? Who am I talking about? Yeah, you remember that conversation Jesus had? He might have been... Uh, Remembering that conversation, somebody remind us what Jesus said to Nicodemus about being born again. He, he, he talked, if you remember, he talked about being born and then being born again. What are those two things and why, why are they different? Born of the flesh, born of the spirit. So who all in this world right now that's alive has been born of the flesh? Okay, so all people uh, that are alive at this moment have been born of the flesh. They get to maybe enjoy the benefits sometimes maybe it's not enjoy the benefits but they get to experience all that goes along with being born of the flesh if they're alive they get to experience uh you know the the sunlight they get to en uh, enjoy food hopefully um i know in some places maybe not not as it, it doesn't come as as freely and as readily it is as it is here but but people that are alive that are born of the flesh get to enjoy uh, the benefits of just being a part of this place that God created. But that is not so of those that are born, that are not born of the Spirit. If you're born of the Spirit, you get to enjoy, as we're getting ready to see here in just a minute, you're, you get to enjoy all the things that God created, not just for all of creation, but all of the things that he set in place and set in motion and put into existence for those that were his. Those people that were, that were born again are those people that the Spirit of God brought them to life, and now they get to experience life both here and in eternity. They get to experience all that God created for mankind as spiritual beings. So Peter is about to remind them of those benefits, of what it of, of, what they, uh, of what they gained whenever God calls to them to be born again, those that belong to Jesus Christ. So he starts off by calling it a living hope, a living hope. We're going to talk about that. What is a living hope, and why is that significant? But first, I just want to talk about this word hope. Um, we were having a discussion I can't remember if it was last Sunday or the Sunday before, but I was I was talking to Jeff's dad, Mike, and a couple of us were talking uh, about about hope and and uh, just trying to wrap our minds around what exactly is hope, and then later we're going to talk about faith and really what's the difference between faith and hope and how do they work together. But hope, but I mean, you tell me what's your definition of hope? We've got some verses we can look at, but what's what's the definition? How would you if somebody came to you and they're like, man, I don't even understand. Uh, you know, why, why do you use this word? What is it? What does it mean? What would you say to them? Yeah, a positive expectation of the future. Yeah. Confident optimism of the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Amen. Yeah. 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 So we we can I think all of the answers um, we're saying kind of the the same kind of thing. Hope is an expectation of something happening in the future. So I want to I do want to uh, draw a little dot here. Okay, so this is where you are now, because I'm going to come back to this a little bit later. So hope is an expectation of something taking place in the future. And it, and it does tend to have a, 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 positive, um, you know, a, a positive connotation to it. But even sometimes it's, it's I'm hoping that something 
negative doesn't happen. So even in that statement, it's still I'm hoping that the future, you know, something something uh, positive happens, right? What? Yeah, something good happens. So in a in a worldly way, uh, to to think about the word hope, it might be like if 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 I'm here with my kids, right, and we're uh, we get up one morning and I tell them that in in one year from now, which that would be torture to a kid. Maybe I don't need to say a year from now. In uh, in two months from now, we're gonna go on vacation to your, you know, to the favorite destination. Okay, growing up with our kids, um, you know, you're, you'll, oh, what's that? <laughs> Was that Virginia? Uh, you know, now that we're down here in Georgia, it'd be Tennessee. But um, but uh, you know, but we had our our place. We used to we used, as kids, we used to uh, as my kids were growing up, we used to love to take them to Disney World. If I said in two months uh, we are gonna go. To Disney World, okay? Um, so their hope is that in two months, that positive thing is going gonna, is gonna to happen. And so they might wake up every morning and they, they think about and get excited about there is something happening in the, in the future that, that brings them joy. And re, we're going to look rejoicing. They're, they're excited about uh, what's going to happen in, in the future it's not happening today, but it's happening in the future. And some of you guys said this, that it would be the wrong kind of hope uh, if there's, there's nothing to base it on. So let's say they wake up one morning, and, uh, and I didn't tell them we were going to Disney World in two months, but they just woke up one morning and began to think, man, I hope we go to Disney World in two months. Okay, well, that, like Jeff said, that's wishful thinking. It's not going to, if my, if my children right now today woke up and said in two months i hope we go to disney world it's wish it's not going to happen it is it is 100 percent not going to happen however if a if the person their dad says it's going to happen and he's a trustworthy dad he keeps his promises in their mind do they say man i'm excited because i, I really believe this is going to happen so the key that I want you to remember is that hope, and because later on in the passage we're going to talk about faith. Later on, uh, we'll compare how those these two work together, faith and hope. But for now, just remember, hope is something in the future. Romans eight twenty three says this, and not only uh, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope. We were saved. Now hope is uh, uh, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so the idea is that hope is something in the future. And and even Paul, in writing Romans, uh, is giving them a description of what their hope is in and what their you know why that hope is so significant. Um, now Steve alluded to this, but our culture gets that word all wrong. Kind of. Taps in with what Jeff said. Definitely taps into what Steve said. How does our culture get that word hope wrong? Yeah, really. It's just they, they devalue it down to a place of, like we've said, just wishing, wishing for something. They do the same thing with the word love. You know, we've, talk, we've talked about that before. Love, I love this. I love that. Man, I love those shoes. I love that dress. And they devalue it down to where it, it's almost meaningless. But I want to let you know in the life of a believer, when we talk about hope, it is, not, it is not meaningless. Don't let the world and our culture diminish what that word means. And I think even as believers, I kind of wish that I could retrain my mind not to use that word in a, in a way that would, that would continue to further that, uh, that devaluing of the word. Maybe I need to, man, I really wish that would happen. Or I, I, but sometimes I, I catch myself, even after I started studying this, catch myself using that word. And, and man, I just... When I think about the word hope, I want it to be something that carries such an incredible, um, incredible amount of weight uh, to it. But our culture devalues that word. But I'm telling you, Peter and what we read in, in Romans, Paul does the same thing. What Peter brings to it, uh, he is bringing clarity to it. So that these people going through persecution, when they think of the word hope, it's not going to be devalued in their mind at all. But what do you think he means? He calls it living hope. This is I, I found this to be... Uh, incredible. What do you think he meant by living hope? Yeah. Continually renewed. Continually renewed. Okay. Really, it's the resurrection 
So there's something that's tied to Jesus not being dead, okay? What, what, have you ever heard somebody use the phrase, keep hope alive? I don't even know where that came from. Uh, but keep hope alive, what does that mean? Yeah, just continue hoping. Keep hope alive. Well, here's, a, here's, here's what I, I'm, I think will help us understand what living hope is. So the promise was made here by somebody, okay? In the case of my, my children, when I think about with them and the promise that I made for them to go somewhere in two months, this hope of this happening two months from now rests on the person that made the promise still being around and being able to complete that promise, okay? So if something, God forbid, happens to me, halfway through their waiting and hoping for this to take place, their hope would be lost because they'd be like, well, I guess our, <laughs> hopefully my kids would, uh, <laughs> would care a little bit more about, you know, about dad than, than Disney, but, but you get my point. Halfway through it, they might say, well, I guess our, our, our hope of going, uh, you know, going on this trip is, is gone now, right? Yeah. Well, think about this. He does, like, like Steve said, he brings, he brings this, this promise and this hope that he's describing to them back to the resurrection. Because as long as Jesus is alive, as long as he's alive, he is able to ensure that what we hope for is going to come to pass. Okay? So if anybody if 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 somehow in the you know in the demonic realm they can sneak into heaven and take Jesus out, then then we're in trouble. But just to let you know, uh, I've got an, I've got an insight. I've, I've seen I've seen the end of the story, and that doesn't happen. I think it's amazing that on the the, the three days that Jesus was, which we're going to get to this later, and y'all pray for me uh, when Jesus was preaching to the, uh, you know, uh, anyway, we're going to get to it a little bit later. During that three days that Jesus, uh, after he died, uh, I'm pretty confident, even though we don't know for certain, I'm pretty confident that the whole realm of the, of the demonic thought they had, they had won, that this, this hope and this promise, they had stopped it. But guess what? Uh, three days later, uh, they, they were devastated. Their plans were dev devastated because when he rose from the dead, uh, he proved that whatever this, this hope is that we're talking about this morning, it is sure, and it is going to happen as long as he's alive. And trust me, I've seen the end of the story. That is going to never change. They're based on a person, Jesus, who is trustworthy and has proven his, he's proven his trustworthiness in, in multiple different ways, all the way to him telling his disciples, if, you know, if, you know I'm going to go away for, for a few days. They didn't even understand it, but then, but then when he came back, he proved to them that what I said is true. person that made that promise that you're that you're that you're putting that you're putting your hope you're putting your hope in that person that made the promise and it's important who that person that person is yeah in, in addition to that so jesus rose he rose with all power <laughs> that means he's unstoppable yeah. to get you to that promise yep it's Amen. in that person that has all power yeah that's right yeah steve go ahead <laughs> I 
good. Yeah, we, so we, we would make a chain, and every day we would celebrate, yeah. celebrate, celebrate. And I, and I was thinking about how, as you were talking about how, you know, every, at least every Sunday, and ba- maybe even every day, you know, exhort one another daily yeah. kind of idea, but it really, part of what we are doing when we're here, a big part, maybe even the biggest part, is we're just reminding each other, keep our hope, keep our hope in the right, in the right person and the right thing. Um, because, I wanted to talk about this real briefly, what is the difference between a living hope and a dead hope. It kind of we've kind of already been dancing around it, but what's the difference between a living hope? What is a dead hope? Yeah, a hope that fades away. Any other thoughts? What a dead hope is? Any hope that is not in Christ. Any hope that's not in Christ. Amen. Man, I got that. That's so awesome. I, I was thinking of the same thing. <laughs> no, no, you say it. I'd rather you say it. I was thinking the same thing though. Doesn't have the power and really even the intention to ever do any to do any of it, right? That's right. Man, you think about uh, about that. I was I was thinking the same thing. Just you know, it can it can wear you down to the point where you just can give up hope. You know, it's just it's not it's not going to change. It's not going to change. And 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 so when we look at, at the things that we are uh, talking about this morning, what Peter talked about, uh, it brings us back to the place to where our hope is in the right the right place. Yes, go ahead, man. Say it one more time. Yeah. yeah. That's right. So Proverbs thirteen twelve says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And that's what that, that that's exactly what uh, what my brother is, is talking about is that when when you and that, that's why it's so important for our hope as believers, you know, to be in the right place, because I'm I'm convinced that the enemy wants so bad for you to have your hope over here over here you know in this maybe in 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 chariots and and uh, horses or uh you know in a like we uh talked about maybe in a politician or maybe in a you know in in a in a lottery or just i mean something even in your own strength i mean maybe one of these could represent your hope being just in my own ability to to do uh you know to do uh, to do good and, uh, and, and, and whatever. But we, I'm convinced that the enemy wants our hope off of, off of our future in Christ, what Peter is talking about in this, in this letter and on all of these other things, because if they don't happen, what, do, what does Proverbs say? You're going to get discouraged. You're going to get despaired uh, in, in a place of despair. And Peter knew that this, these Christians that were scattered and being persecuted, if their hope was in anything outside, maybe hope that, that, that you know, the next emperor would stop this mess, or maybe that, that another, uh, you know, maybe even that Christ would raise up an army and go and overthrow the Roman Empire or something. If they had their hope in any other place, that there's a very good chance that what it ends up in is despair for them. That has to be a part of why it's so important not to forsake assembling together. Because like, like what Eric said, all along this, this journey 
of us, you know, we, we, hear the ho- we hear the hope and the promises, and we're, we're, you know, we're born again. He calls us to be born again. We, we know the promises now. And all along this journey, it's the enemy's trying to get us sidetracked, trying to get us in some other place. And us coming together is, a, is just this continual reminder. You know, if it's daily, wonderful, uh, at, at least when we come together once a week, you know, we're proclaiming his death till he comes. I mean, what are we doing? We are reminding each other of the hope. He is coming back for us. And when he arrives, it's going to be something like we've never, that no one's ever been able to uh, comprehend or, or imagine. And so when we come together, boom, 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 we're reminding each other all throughout our lives with other believers about that hope. I was going to say, because Eric, when he mentioned, you know, like on that trip we talked about, we're planning what we're going to do, what ride we're going to get on. We're going to have a funnel cake from over there that we like. And if your hope is scattered, Part of it is in you, mm-hmm. and part of it's in these other plans. You also start planning for those there. Mm-hmm. And a double-minded man yeah. is unstable in his ways. And here it is, you're planning, but you're not just planning for these things that are hope, where real hope is. You're planning for all these other things that you created, which is polytheism. Let, let's talk, let's move on to the next verse because we got, we got to understand a little bit about it. He doesn't give us specifics about all that that hope entails, but he does give us some information about what it's not. He gives us a little bit of information. So look at verse 4 again. Somebody read verse 4 for us again. All right, so he says that this hope is to an inheritance. All right, so some of you um, in this room, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you've in your family experienced what an, uh, you know, an, an inheritance is all about, okay? Um, an inheritance is just when uh, somebody who, uh, who has gained some kind of a reward, whether in, like in our minds we think in an earthly sense it being uh, like a financial uh, thing or maybe a house or a car, uh, and then at some point, they pass that along to someone else. So you think about the, you know, the prodigal son. He wanted his inheritance early, but there was this, this, uh, you know, this inheritance that his father had put aside for him that at some point would be his. That's what. An, but what does he say about our inheritance? He doesn't give us the details necessarily, but he gives kind of a couple of things about it. What, what's one of the things that he says about it? Imperishable. imperishable. What does that mean? What is, if something is imperishable, what is it? can't decay it can't decay I'll go be the not cheese is that what you're saying that is not cheese and then again what's another thing and then next he says what about it it's what yeah undefiled which means what holy pure that's what I thought yep or that's what the definition is pure um, so it was pure talks about our inheritance as being something that won't decay so it's not going anywhere. It's not going to get worse. What he's holding on to, what this uh, inheritance is, that's a part of our hope. It can't decay. Uh, it's pure. In other words, there's no defilement within it. And then what's the last thing that he says? I love this word. Unfading. I put down that it's as wonderful a thousand years from now as it was on day one. And so y'all remember, uh, you know, the incredible song we're weaving there. 10,000 years. I mean, it really is true. He is calling the hope that we have uh, that, is, that is to an inheritance, this inheritance as being an inheritance that, that will not be defiled in any way. Corruption can't get any, you know, it's not like you get it and then all of a sudden it begins to deteriorate or go down. And, and I mean, it is as wonderful a million years down the road as it is on day one. But then he goes on and he talks about uh, you know, is it, I'm thinking, is it safe? Is this inheritance that we as believers, uh, that we will be receiving, is it safe? It says that it is, it is kept for you in heaven. It is kept for you, guarded, 
by God. He is telling them that even if they take your life, because again, remember what he's trying to do is build hope in the life of people that are being persecuted to the point of, of many of them, even death, that even if they take your life away from you, nothing can take what has been promised to you. Keep, home, keep hoping in those promises. So it's being guarded. Why do you think it is that he doesn't give them details about that inheritance? Why not just right now just spell it out there and give them, this is exactly what it's going to look like. Huh? Faith? I think the reason why Peter can't give the details as smart as he was and as filled with the spirit as he was and as important of a leader in the church as he was he would have to admit I don't know I won't know till I get there and neither will you but I can promise you this whatever the plan is like Steve said we can't imagine what God's prepared for those that love him whatever the plan is that God has it's going to be greater than anything. I mean, go ahead, you know, uh, you know write, a, write a song about how you can only imagine. You know, you can do that if you want to, but even your imaginations are going to make what actually is presented on that day, you know, look like, man, what a, what a, silly, what a silly thought I had. It was so much better than anything. So just keep in your mind as he's talking about this, and he's talking about that, that inheritance, and he's talking about what God's going to do in the end. Uh, it's going to be great. And we remind each other of that, I believe, every week when we do the Lord's Supper. We're, again, calling our minds and our attention to him returning and, and being a part of that marriage. Well, what does that even mean? We don't know. We just know what the Scripture teaches, and by faith, like Sean said, by faith we believe it, and we look forward to it, and we long for it. But I think what Peter is trying to do is help them understand that whatever this is, it's not going to go away. No one can take it away. No one can destroy it. No one can corrupt it. Uh, you know, people can take inheritance here on earth and do all kind of goofy stuff with it and make it something that it becomes a curse and makes it something that I, I wish I'd have never touched. But he is saying that this is going to be a pure, undefiled, you know, incorruptible. Uh, it is not a, a fading inherit but it's one that will last for all eternity verse five then he goes on he says uh, who by god's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed so who is the who referring to yeah he says kept in heaven for you so i just found this to be just another huge encouragement this time he uses the, instead of the word kept he does use the word guarded and it has a military connotation to it we are being not just the inheritance is being kept and being guarded, but we are being guarded, and he uses a word that really has the, the, the picture of a, you know, a military uh, you know, battalion or, or some kind of military presence that's guarding us. Not only the inheritance, but us. We are being guarded. So by God's power, he keeps us safe. And, and the word also, it, it carries the idea not just of, of being guarded uh, and protected from, from you know, some kind of an attack from the outside coming in, but it can also mean whenever there's a, uh, you know, a siege going on and you build a, you know, you build a, a, a military surrounding a city uh, to keep whatever it is that's inside that city inside the city. And man, I was thinking about that, about how uh, in our lives, God's not only guarding us from, from what could happen on the outside coming in, but even from what could happen on the inside of us, that discouragement or that despair that can cause us to lose heart and lose hope, that God through his power even desires to protect us on the inside internally and hold us and keep us from the ways that the enemy wants to destroy us. It made me think of Ephesians 6, the armor of God, above all taking on the shield of faith which will be able to, to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So he's protecting us, but look back at our verse. What is the channel that he uses to protect us? Faith. The channel God uses is faith. And so just like what Paul said to the Ephesians, that faith that we have in the Lord Jesus, when that faith is strong, we're, we're holding up that faith as a shield. And the enemy tries to come and tries to attack 
He tries to pull us away, bring discouragement, bring despair, bring destruction. And faith says, no, those things bounce right off for our protection. All right. So we're talking about faith now. What is faith? And I want to I want to really briefly talk about the difference between faith and hope. What is the difference between faith and hope? Because sometimes they almost seem like they're referring to the same thing, but they're not. They are they are very closely tied and interlinked with each other, but they are also uh, they are distinct. So what's the difference between faith and hope? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Yep. It's the substance, it's the confidence in things hoped for. Hebrews 11, verse 1. So faith is being convinced that God's promises are true and that he'll do what he says he'll do. So let's go back to my little, uh, you know, my little line here. So we, we've determined that hope is God has made a promise that something is going to happen. And faith steps in and says, I believe it as if it's already happened. That's what faith does. Faith Every day, when, like Eric mentioned about how every day we, the, the kids might wake up and talk about it and be excited, they wouldn't be excited if there were still doubts, right? If they were still, oh, it's going to be, we'll wait and see, see what happens. If, if, dad, if dad lies to them over and over again, then it might cause them to doubt, and like, yeah, we'll, we'll believe that when we see it, is kind of the way we, we might think, that, uh, think about that. But when we know our father is telling us the truth, then every day we just continue to believe. Like All we're doing is waiting for that moment to get here, but we're enjoying that moment every day, every day. I, every day I wake up and I enjoy the moment of, of, of that, that, you know, that hope being, uh, you know, being fulfilled one day. I enjoy it every day as if it's already taken place. So then it goes on. For salvation ready to be revealed, ready to be revealed in the last time. I mentioned to you that he doesn't give us all the details about what this inheritance is and what this hope is. And we put our faith in whatever this, this salvation at the end, it takes place in the inheritance and all of these things. We don't know all the details. And he says that it's going to be revealed in the last time. So reveal just means that you're removing a covering. You're exposing something that was, that was hidden. And when we think about salvation, we think about salvation as being something that, that was a part of a, you know, it was a past event. When, 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 when Christ saved me, I mean, I was forgiven of all of my, I was saved from my sin. But we say, but I'm being saved from my sin even today. And I will be saved from my sin. Salvation has all three of those uh, tenses included in it. And so right now we're talking about this, this future unveiling. What about our salvation is unveiled in the end? And it really goes back to what we've already said, but somebody repeat it just so we can get it in the, in the context of this part of the, the passage. What part are we waiting for to be revealed? And, and all that, that comes with that, the parts that we just, don't, we just don't completely understand, the part, like we've said a couple times, no eyes seen, no ears heard, what God has planned, whatever those plans are, it's going to be revealed one day, and we long for and wait for that revealing to take place. And then in verse 6, let's move, move through pretty quickly. Somebody read verse 6 for us. So knowing that God has a plan that we can't even imagine how incredible it's going to be and that he's guarding us and guarding that plan, it should cause us to rejoice. In this, you rejoice. It should cause us, every time we think about it, again, back to, back to our illustration about the, the trip, and my kids are so excited every day. They're rejoicing. They're excited about what's going to take place in our lives. He is telling them, in this, you rejoice. It ought to cause us to, to rejoice. But then he says, but for a little while, though for a little while, and what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. So this, this that you're going through now, 
You know, we use, we use that, that phrase, this too shall pass. When somebody's going through a time of suffering, Peter is using that, uh, you know, that truth that this is not forever. What you're going through, it may, it may end your life, but it's still not for eternity. This is, this is a temporary thing that you're going through. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I mean, Paul's saying the same thing that Peter was saying, just in a different way. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so these things, these trials that they're going through, Peter reminds them that they are temporary. But he also says, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. You catch that? If necessary. Sometimes we don't think about the grieving that we go through and the trials that we go through as necessary. Why would they be necessary? Sanctification, strengthening. What was the second part you said? Yeah, but to mature us. What James says, somebody quote James from your heart. What did he say? Count it all. Yeah. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So, yep. say to you also this morning that grieving a trial does not mean you lack faith or that you're weak. If you're going through a time that causes you some kind of a trial or some kind of a suffering, some kind of hard moment, just know that you're grieving sometimes is necessary. But he told them to rejoice. In this you rejoice. Can rejoicing and grieving coexist at the same time? Isn't that a weird phenomenon when you think about Someone being filled with joy, but yet they're still grieving. Yep, the difference between joy and happiness. So what would Peter say is the key to being able to rejoice even though you're grieving? We'll do that. Because they're rejoicing in this, not in the trials that take place as we go along life and down, and down this journey. And so when you go through trials, when you go through, just remember what James says, what Peter says, remember what the scripture says, that those trials produce something in our lives. And Peter's going to get into that a little bit too in verse 7. Somebody read verse 7 for us. So the trials that you go through, the testing that you go through, it has a purpose. Sometimes it's necessary and it has a purpose. And he says, he, he tells them what the end result is of that trial if, it's, if you go through it in the right kind of way. And what does he say it'll bring in the end? Yeah, praise, glory, and honor. Now I thought a little bit about that. Is he talking about praise, honor, and glory being... To us or to Christ? To Christ? I would say that it, it can be, and I, I tried to, you know, I want to say this very carefully, but it also can be that when Jesus sees his faithful followers that he says, well done, a good and faithful servant. And so there may be a little bit of an element of those people that endure those trials and they endure them in the right way that, that God does say to them, you were faithful. And, and so, you know, well done. But, but you're exactly right. In the end, all glory, all honor, and all praise. So anything that comes towards us would be immediately reflected back to, you know, Jesus, you are the one that's worthy of glory, honor, and praise. And real briefly, he gets into uh, the, the, genuine, uh, the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold. And I spent some time talking about that. What's the difference between a genuine faith and, and a, you know, a faith that's, that's counterfeit? Are there, are there people walking the earth even today that might have a counterfeit faith? They say they believe, but yet they're, you know, 
Yeah, definitely not in, in a, yeah, definitely not America. <laughs> but he, he equates it to gold. And I was thinking about the idea of fool's gold. And you, you know, sometimes you can have a shiny rock that looks like gold. But then how do you figure out? I, I wouldn't be able to figure it out. But how would somebody that knows what they're doing figure out the difference between gold and, and fool's gold? Okay. Yeah. They test it. You know, whether it's through fire or some other way, some people know really, really well, and they'd be able to tell immediately. Um, but you test it, and it's the genuineness. Uh, so if you if you're discouraged, if you if you think you just found a you know a, a, a big huge rock that was gold, you would be excited about that because you think that's going to change your life. And then the guy comes along and says to you, "No, that's counterfeit. That's fool's gold." And and it's it's not going to change your life at all. But if you discover it's real, and it's precious. And then you're you're excited about that, right? Yep. In the end, how do, how do we know the difference between genuine faith and a counter faith? And what happens when it's tested? And that, that is the fear that I have in our, in our day and in our culture is that there, there is uh, a very lack, a, very, a lack, it seems like anyway, on the maybe first appearance, it seems like a lack of, of testing. You go to, we, we were talking this, this past uh, uh, week, or I think it was on Friday, at Steve's house, and Lachine was sharing with us in China the Christians and how their faith is tested, like big time tested. And if they and if it passes that test, I mean they are they're genuine believers because they have they've been tested as if through fire. And in America, it's pretty easy. Doesn't really get te- seem to be tested as much, but it could come one day. Yep. Part of the plan. That's right. And then we find the, that Peter, the believer, gets tested and gets fired. It brings out all the impurities. So there's what's what's left is really gold. And then everything else goes away with silver. Kind of kind of kind of back and forth. But the real gold stays in the heart and stays in the hand. And when, when you have a real Christ, it doesn't stay in your hand. It goes and gets tested. Yeah. So we know that we we know we're saved and we're yeah. saved in the hand. Yeah. And that's purpose, right? Well, verse eight and nine. Let's let's cover these and then we'll be done. Somebody read verse 8. He says, you have not seen him, but you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Think about that for just a second. The one making the promise. No one here has, has with your eyes, seen Jesus. No one, no one here is going to claim that. But yet we've seen the, the evidence of Jesus and the things, you know, from his word to the change that he has he's made in the lives of people around us. Whenever somebody first shared, shared the gospel with you and Perhaps you saw the change in their life. We see the evidence all around of what God has what God has done. We see His creation. We see His hand at work all around us. But we haven't seen Him with our eyes. But yet we believe the promises that He's made to us through His Word. And that is what faith is. Faith says, "Look, God Himself through Jesus has made a promise to us." And even though what Peter's saying, you haven't seen him, you love him and you rejoice in the things that he has done and he is doing and the promises that he's made of the things that he will do. And that is what what faith is all about. 
Peter says you love him, you believe in him, and you rejoice in him with a joy that is filled with glory, inexpressible and filled with glory. And the reason for their, for their rejoicing is they've received promises and they are confident in those promises. Because they trust the one that's made the promises. The last verse, verse 9, and then we'll be done. Somebody read verse 9. So what is the end result, the outcome of your faith? You're walking through this entire life. You know, you're loving him. Your, your faith is in him. You're rejoicing all throughout your life. And in the end, what is it? We're at Disney World. We're at Disney World. <laughs> yeah. The end result, the conclusion, is that what we hoped for, we have obtained, the salvation of our souls. And so, again, Peter's dealing with a group of people that their lives, their flesh, is very likely going to be taken from them. And he is saying to them that even if they take your life, they can't take your soul. You know, put your faith in Jesus, have your attention on him, and in the end, the outcome is your soul will be safe in him. Never again will you suffer. That's what Peter wanted them to think about. This is temporary. Never again will you suffer. You'll be with God for all eternity. And that's a lot to be excited about and rejoicing in. I want to close with verse 13. We're, we're not going to teach it, but I just want to read it to you. Because you might say, well, what, you know, what's the so what? All these things, I mean, man, what a hope we have. What an, you know, this inheritance, all these things. So exciting. I'm, I'm ready to rejoice. I'm hoping you're, you know, in your mind you're just thinking, God, thank you, thank you. We set the tone of, of, of gratefulness and gratitude and just being thankful to God. But the so what is found in verse 13. Somebody read verse 13 to us. All right. We'll, we'll get to this part, uh, you know, in, in one of the following weeks. But I just want to remind you that all of these things that he said about hope and why we should hope and how we put our, he is saying to them, Set your hope fully. And he said, prepare your mind for action. Again, I'm not teaching it, but he's wanting the minds of his readers to be fully set on the grace that will be revealed, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we close out our teaching time, I want to even now just remind you, put your mind, set your mind, gird up your mind, and get your mind set on this hope. It is the answer to any suffering that you're going through, anything that you're going through in your life. If you will have your hope in the right place and your faith in the right person, then no matter what you go through in life, I mean, I can rejoice. Will I go through grieving? Will it possibly be necessary? Of course. Part of the process, as Steve said, part of the plan, that even while you're going through the grieving times, the suffering times, I rejoice. Because I know what's what's coming down the road, and uh, and I know who holds that plan, and I know that no one can destroy that plan, and it's an eternal plan. And this morning, if you're facing discouragement in your life, could it be that your hope is in the wrong place? Get your mind and your focus back on all the promises God's made, and and uh, and you'll have a reason to rejoice this morning. <laughs>